Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Thank you. How y'all doing? Woo! That was fun. You've never been a part of a church where the MC could barely lead the meeting because he was so out of breath. Welcome to Catch the Fire Raleigh. Spirit of praise, you are welcome. Shaka Baba. Oh, man, I'm excited. Like Jacob said, happy Father's Day. My dad's in the room. We love you. You're amazing. I also want to say happy Juneteenth tomorrow. Yeah, you can give a clap for that. Now, Juneteenth, as we are celebrating the Emancipation Proclamation for our African-American brothers and sisters, the end of slavery being abolished in our nation, we are so grateful for that. And so it's our joy to celebrate that. You know, we love, Jess and I kind of joke, we don't just love this church, we like this church. And I love that this church is a diverse group of people that reflect what the kingdom of heaven is like and is going to be like one day. And so we are so grateful. May this church carry on the legacy of diversity and celebrated diversity with one another as we are unified under one God, under one communion table, under one lordship as one body. Amen. Amen. I think we got the clappers in second service or something. All the clappers showed up today. I also just, man, I feel like God's up to something. Y'all feeling that? The Lord is building his church. And I like, this is, this is not our church. This is not Jess and my church. This is not Duncan and Kate's church. The global body, the Lord loves his church, the global church, and he is building it. And I was so encouraged last week seeing uh, 20 people be baptized, go under their waters and publicly declare their faith before family and friends and declare the inner working of Christ that has been taking place in them. And there was one family in particular that was going under those waters. The mom was so moved. She's like, I need to get baptized and I want my kids to get baptized with me, which there's scriptural precedence for that. So don't worry. And so she's leading all her kids and they're coming up to get baptized to go under those waters. And our ministry team, bless their hearts, because this is something we ask in the tank, is saying, hey, do you know Jesus to the kids in the line? And on the spot, the kids are receiving salvation. And then they were getting in the tub being baptized. And then later on, as they came to the front, our ministry team was praying for them at the end of the service for them to receive the Holy Spirit for the baptism of fire. And they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, come on. So I say, let that be the norm. You know, get saved, baptized, and baptize in fire all in one go. So, why not? Why not? So thank you, Jesus. Come on, tell him. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you're building your church. And we're not just talking about this church. We're talking about all churches, your people, your bride. Lord, would you continue to build your church Lord, your word says that the harvest is ripe for us to pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest. And so today we say, Lord, would you send out laborers into the harvest? Come on, say it. Lord, send out laborers into the harvest. And if you're daring, say, Lord, send me. Send me into the harvest, Lord. Would you give me boldness? Would you give me courage to be one of the sent ones, Lord, to be one of those that goes into the harvest One of the laborers, Lord, show me what it is to be a laborer in your harvest, Lord. Show me what it is to be a worker in your vineyard. And Lord, I ask that you would give us your fire, your deep fire and 
passion in our lives. We are catch the fire. So Lord, let us catch it. Let us fully be consumed by the flame of God, by the living flame of God, by your word, by your person, by your nature, by your spirit. And God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Well, for those of you who might not know, we are in a series, we're in a sermon series that we kicked off last week called The House of His Presence. There it is behind me. And Jess kicked off the series last week with the sermon title, House of His Presence. Go figure. And speaking about what it is to be a house of his presence, what it is for this church to be a people, to be presence people who are after the presence of God, who are after him above all. And today, I believe we're, we're... beginning to unpack over the next few weeks and today some of the building blocks, if you will, some of the brick and mortar, the foundational pieces of what it is to be a house of his presence. So the title of today's message is a house of worship. House of worship. Tell somebody next to you, we are a house of worship. Tell somebody you are a worshiper. You know, worship is, it's one of those core fundamentals of the believer. It's not just something that takes place here on a Sunday, beautiful as that expression of corporate worship just was, but it is a fundamental, a core characteristic of every believer. It's not something that's just one and done, but it's an overflow of a love-filled heart. It's the overflow of gratitude. It's the overflow of thanksgiving. It's the overflow of love. And worship is where we ascribe worthiness and worth to the one who is worth everything, to the lamb who was slain, to our champion savior, Jesus. Worship is any thought, action, or deed where we are pouring out our love songs to him, to Jesus, because he's worthy. You know, we live in a culture that's obsessed with beauty. Would you all agree with that? That will do anything for beauty. Move across countries to be close to beauty. Move states to be close to beauty. Move countries for beauty. The beauty industry in the world globally is massive. All the skincare routines, all the makeup, the plastic surgery, everything. If I can just be beautiful, if I can look beautiful. <laughs> we fall into comparison, we fall into competition, and we, we want to, in our flesh, have the most beautiful home or have the most beautiful car or have the most beautiful things or toys, you name it. And then we have even the perverted side of beauty where the world has taken the adult industry and people are selling their bodies, they're selling their, the God's creation and people are consuming it like a commodity. But as believers, we must know that the temporary can never replace the infinite. The temporary can never replace the infinite. There is no amount of earthly possessions. There is no amount of appearances. There is no amount of worldliness that can satisfy the longing of your heart. The reality today is that you were not made for the temporary. You were made for the infinite. You were made in your creator's image. And there is an innate longing for his being, for his person, for the Godhead to rest in your life. And nothing can satisfy like him. The temporary can never replace the infinite. The truth is, once we've seen him, we're kind of ruined. It's, we're never the same. 
God bless youth pastors. There's a youth pastor many years ago. You know, they just have a way of saying things to make you never forget them. And he had this, his name was Andrew Gazzineo. He was a youth pastor back in Catch Fire, Toronto, and had a real mark on my life. And I remember him talking about if you've been eating hot dogs for your whole life, y'all got to go with me. If you're vegetarian or vegans, I'm sorry, you're on the outside here. But if you're eating hot dogs your whole life, and then one day, and you think this is all there is to meat, and one day somebody makes you a steak, medium rare, if you cook it over that, bless your heart, we'll pray for you later. Um, somebody gives you a steak, and it's like, oh, this, this is what true meat is. This is what it is really like, right? It's like a dumb example, obviously. But the point is, that is, well, it's a good example in the sense that sometimes we eat the scraps that have been just pushed into a hot dog, right? When God has given us a true feast on his body and his blood. And, and it's, nothing else can satisfy when we taste of him, when we experience him, when we consume him. Nothing else will satisfy. Tell your neighbor the temporary can never replace the infinite. Come on, the temporary, y'all can do it. We'll never replace the infinite. We see this in John chapter six. I love this story. Jesus is, he has a crowd gathering him and he does the most kind of worst marketing technique imaginable. And he turns to this crowd and he labors on this point. I believe it's three times. He says it over and over again. And he says, in order to continue following me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And even his disciples, his 12, his closest are grumbling. And it says in the scriptures that they're like, this is a hard teaching to accept. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Things are going great. Things are going well. And this is what you want to labor on about now in this moment. But I love it. This, this beauty is twinkle in Jesus' eye, I think, because he turns. The crowds are leaving. He's not concerned. And he turns to the 12 that are still standing there. And, and he asks them, are you going to leave me as well? And Peter has these beautiful words that sum up why they're still standing there in verse 68. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen, they knew, they'd experienced, they'd walked with Jesus. They'd been with him. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen the signs and wonders. They'd seen the demons flee. They'd felt the word and the spirit of life in them. And they're like, what am I supposed to go back to? How could anything else satisfy? I'm going to go back and be a fisherman. I'm going to go back to my old ways. I'm going to go back to my old things. Nothing can satisfy. You alone have the words that give life. His words are dripping with eternity. There is nobody like him. There is nothing and no one that can satisfy that longing of our hearts. Revelations 4 speaks of the four living creatures surrounding the throne of God day and night. And they never cease to save, it says in verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It goes on in verse 9 to say, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive honor, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created 
all things, and by your will, they existed. By your will, they existed and were created. Listen, he is so mesmerizing. He is so beautiful. He is so majestic that those that are forever surrounded by his throne, those that are looking upon him in our flesh when we would bore, when we would get bored, when we might be like the Israelites and forget his benefits, the Bible says forget not his benefits. Here they are, those that are forever surrounding, looking upon him. And the only response is holy, holy, holy. And the elders are taking off their thrones, continually casting them down at the feet of Jesus and saying, worthy are you to receive glory, honor, and power. Because when we look upon him, we are forever changed. When we look upon him, all of a sudden the measuring stick of what satisfies in life is forever ruined. All of a sudden, we are awakened to the fact that this is the very thing that I was born for. This is the very person and presence that I was created for. And nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will do. Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. To be a house of his presence, to be a people of his presence, a people of worship, we must be a people that feast on Christ. To be a people that realize the things of this world, they ain't it. They can't do. They won't satisfy. But when we behold our maker, we are forever transformed. And the response of our hearts, let it be pure and unadulterated worship. Beautiful praise like we were having today. One where we're casting all our sort of earthly wisdom and accolades and badges of honor and trying to keep appearances with one another. And it's like, no, none of that matters. Only you, Jesus. Because I have looked upon you and I am, I am wrecked. I can never go back. I can never go back. The reality is everyone worships. It's a question of not if you, if you worship, it's a question of who or what. And there's so many things that are vying for our attention, that are vying for our time, our phones, social media, TV, whatever, whatever it is. Enter, enter in your thing, right? And Jess said it last week, you know, she was encouraging us that often the good can rob us from the great. There's things in our lives, there's beautiful things. God has given us life to enjoy. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we have to be conscious of what is seating in the first place of our hearts and our lives as people of his presence. Is the Lord first and then everything else? Or have we gotten things mixed up? I love Mike Bickle, I heard many years ago, talking about the coming generation and talking about how this generation has an opportunity to worship God like never seen before, he believes. Because amidst all the ways and distractions that are being created, the ways that our phones are trying to turn our brains into three-second goldfish brains, so we forget, we don't realize the emptiness in ourselves because we're so constantly consuming things. 
that we have an opportunity, this generation has an opportunity to rise up in despite of all the distractions and say, I choose you. God, I've seen it all. I've seen everything this world has to offer. But when I looked upon you, I realized I could never, ever choose those things over you, Jesus. And that is the opportunity for us. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I love this story. We're going to dive right in. Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 And neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has entered, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this story. I just noticed that the woman was there from the moment Jesus entered. He went ahead. She went ahead. She was waiting for him. She heard about it. She had to see her Lord. And so this story, this Pharisee, of course, invites Jesus to his home, which just goes to show that not every relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees was one of antagonistic nature, but that this Pharisee, Simon, must have wanted to see a sort of more honest, closer look at Jesus. And here they are, they're, they're, they're coming to dine, and this woman who's described here as a sinner comes. And we need to recognize and realize that this isn't just kind of like what we say, we're all sinners saved by grace. But that this woman was most likely in some ways notorious for her sin. A lot of scholars assume that she may have been a prostitute. For whatever it is, she was known as a sinner. And so she overcomes all social barriers, all social like rejection that she was about to face, not just to enter somebody's home with who she is, with what everyone thinks of her, but to enter the home of a religious leader, of a Pharisee. 
And to go despite all the scorn, despite all the shame, she's overcome with this deep desire to see the Lord. And of course, we know she comes, she brings this alabaster jar, and I want us to picture this dinner party for a moment. Picture yourself at this dinner party. This woman, this sinner, notorious sinner, is sitting, and it's probably awkward, everybody. Can we all agree with that? If y'all don't think it's awkward, it's awkward, okay? And you're here at this dinner party, and this woman is weeping and wailing. She's crying so hard that she's conjuring up enough tears to wash the feet of Jesus. And then rather than finding a rag like a normal person might do, she takes her hair. She begins to wipe Jesus' feet to, to dry them. And she's pouring out this jar of perfume. She's anointing his feet, and she's just continuing to weep and weep as people are like, what is going on? And even Simon's thinking to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, if he only knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't allow such a thing. Joke's on him because Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. And of course, he says to him, who would love more, one that was forgiven much or one that was forgiven little? To which, of course, Simon replies, the one who's forgiven much. And he says, look upon this woman and the way that she's honored me the way that she's poured out this offering, the way that she's wept, the way that she's anointed my feet when you gave me none. I believe that this is such a beautiful picture of worship. It's one of my favorite pictures of worship in all the scriptures. Because this woman was so overcome with a love-filled heart that the overflow of her love for Jesus made her overcome all the obstacles and the social barriers and all the reasons why not to go to that home that she was so overcome, I have to see my Lord. I have to embrace him. I have to wash his feet. I have to bring this expensive bottle of perfume to bring him something costly. And she's pouring out her fragrant offering of worship to him, to Jesus. And this is, this is us. This is the believer when we look upon him, we are never the same. Everything changes. And if you're not finding your, your heart necessarily in a place of worship, I want to encourage you to get in the presence and look at his face. Look upon him. Take a moment. Remember the things that he's done for you. Remind yourself. Forget not his benefits like we said. Remind yourself of all that he is and all that he's done. Go home and watch The Passion of Christ. That movie just sometimes, every once in a while, just grounds me. Jesus, you did this for me. All of this was for me. Because when we see him, when we fully understand how worthy he is, we can't help be like those creatures. We can't help be like the elders, casting our crowns before him and saying, worthy are you, Jesus. There is nobody like you. The only response of my life, the only offering I can give you is my everything is all of me, Jesus. I pour my worship, I pull my whole, my whole self to you. You are worthy of it all. Because I've looked, I've tasted, and I've seen. I love Philippians 3, verse 7. Since I was a young man, since I was in high school, I love this verse. Paul's speaking of all the things that he could boast in, of all the accolades that he could wear as a badge of honor and say, hey, look at me. And of all of it, he says in verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. There's nobody like him. There's nothing and nobody that can satisfy. And the world that doesn't know him, they think we're crazy, right? They think the church is a cult. Bunch of crazy people. Like, you believe God speaks? I don't even believe in God. So what are you talking about? Because when we're in love, we do radical things. And what, it's just the natural response of the heart. It's not even that we're trying to put something on. It's like when you are truly deeply in love, when you truly look upon him, you can't help but respond in a certain way, in a certain manner. And so we do crazy things. We have some dear friends some missionaries who are radical lovers of Jesus. And they, they, in their love and their devotion to the Lord, said, Lord, where would you send us? We want to go. We want to serve you. And the Lord sent them and their four kids to Iraq to minister to a refuge, uh, refugee camp, to refugees. Massive one. And I'm telling you that it's been very, very difficult from speaking with them, with their relationship with their parents. Their parents, for many of their lives, have not been saved. They ended up getting saved, but if you will, their, their faith is a little more shallow, okay? Just for context. And they cannot fathom how they would move across the world, take their grandbabies, and go serve the Lord in this place. And it's caused a lot of strain. We don't, the world doesn't get it, right? Those that haven't truly seen him, those that haven't experienced the indwelling of his faith, the joy of that salvation, oh, just in abundance, bursting out of your very being, can't understand the things that we do. They don't get it. I had another friend who was just telling me a story recently of his very successful business uh, friend in Madison, Wisconsin. And this friend also is a deep lover of Jesus. And he was working towards this massive deal. Very, very big uh, deal. And all of a sudden, the day before, the Lord told him, do not take that deal. And he knew, like, he, he was like, God, is that you, right? And he walked into this deal, and he says to all these, all these businessmen, all these secular friends and businessmen and colleagues, and he says, I cannot take the deal today. And of course, they're threatening all sorts of things. You will never work in this business again in this city. We're going to shut you out in every way. And they're throwing all threats at them and him and saying, how could you? How dare you? All sorts of things. Because it had taken time. And of course, it was costly, but he was obedient to the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you that later on, he essentially, the Lord handed him the business for free later on. But the response of his heart was, Lord, I, I am so attuned to you. I love you so deeply. I will follow you. I will serve you. I will obey you. I will give you my everything. My very life, my very being is yours as worship. Y'all with me? Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
our very bodies, our very selves, we are the living sacrifice. We are the worship. Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor you smell good. Y'all are weird saying that in church. (laughs) Second Corinthians 2.15 says, for we are the aroma, say the aroma of Christ, of Christ to God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Are y'all catching that? Our worship, our lives, our living sacrifices, our very beings, the fragrant offering of our worship of ourselves smells like Christ to the Father. When we worship, when we are in here praising and dancing and shouting and whatever it is, wailing like we just were, the Lord is smelling his son. All of his being, he's like, I see my son. He looks at us and he sees Jesus. We are the aroma. Your worship is attractive to heaven. We cannot be a house of his presence if we are not a people of worship. We cannot be a house of his presence if we are not a house of worship. Because worship is the very thing that attracts the presence of God. And when we worship, his presence comes. When we turn our affections to the Lord, and we say, Lord, I just want you, he comes. Miracles happen when his presence comes. Like Shannon's shoulder being healed a couple weeks ago of 10 years of shoulder pain. John four twenty three through 24 says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Say spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's seeking them out. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. I believe to worship in spirit is to first and foremost worship through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That it is the Holy Spirit that reveals the Father. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals the Son to us, that convicts the world of their sin, that convicts the world of that we need a Savior. And it is by the Spirit and through the Spirit that we worship. But I believe that it's not, it's also a place of sincere worship that comes from it, from within to worship in spirit. It's not mechanical. But it comes from this heartfelt commitment of faith and zeal and passion for the Lord. Because we understand his beauty, his power, his splendor. I believe to worship in truth is to worship in sound doctrine and biblical truth. I mean, no, we're not just saying mindless words when we sing, right? Right? That we are singing the infallible truths of God to God. I love what John Piper said about this passage. He said, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the disciple of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. And then this, oh, this is my favorite. This is the bread and butter here. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Strong affections for God rooted in truth 
are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Lord, only you can satisfy. So I have three charges today for us in our worship, in being a house of worship. Firstly, I want to say to make the time and let it cost you, everybody. It is costly sometimes, isn't it? Just in our own flesh, if we're really honest. We have things we need to do. We have jobs. We have lives. We have agendas. We have, you start having children. It, it just gets crazier and crazier. And as we get older and older and older, it feels like more things are fighting for our attention. More things are fighting for our time. But we ma- must prioritize him. We must look upon him. We must offer our fragrant worship to him who is worthy. And so make the time, even if it's costly, get up that little bit earlier to be in his presence, to worship him. Stay up that little bit later or go up to bed that little bit later to sit by your bed and worship him and read your word. Whatever it looks like, let it cost you. We know that it's not just... Worship isn't a formula. It's not just singing songs. And there can be seasons, as Jess was encouraging us last week, there can be seasons where your worship is the commute to work. I worked for a season when I needed temporary work up in Canada. I was working in a meat factory night shifts because that's all I could find for temp work. And that 30-minute drive to work, as I was about to go hear the F word, used every second word from all my colleagues. That 30-minute drive was a piece of heaven. And the Lord would break through on that car ride and I would be scream singing just tell the Lord, pouring out my praise, singing Sinking Deep, if any of my youth know that song, just screaming it. And I would go into that place full of Jesus and so like aware of his presence and just ready to love on my colleagues. It's like, sometimes it might look like that. It might look like scream singing in your car. There's so many things that can be worshipped. It's not a formula. I remember one time I was at uh, the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry back in 2009, this would have been, and I was doing push-ups. Y'all got to go with me for a second, okay? I was doing push-ups. I was single, so I was keeping that physique up a little bit, and I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit rushes in the room, and I became suddenly aware that the Spirit of God entered the room. Like the Lord clearly wanted to teach me things, you know, when he makes it so obvious. And I'm like just doing push-ups like, and I feel the Lord come close to me and he whispers in my ear and he says, all things can be worshiped to me. And all of a sudden, I kid you not, the Holy Spirit filled me in that moment and I I didn't stop. I just kept doing push-ups and I offered it to the Lord as worship. And so I'm doing push-ups and I'm like, praising the Lord through my body. God, thank you that you've given me a body that works. Thank you that these arms work. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. And I'm just lifting up this song of worship through push-ups. The point isn't this guy did push-ups one time. Cool. The point is so much of our lives can be offered as worship. It's an attitude of the heart. It's not simply singing words and saying songs, singing songs and saying words. Although that is a huge historical part of worship and there's so much biblical examples of singing and kneeling and praising and jumping and dancing. And the history of the church is filled with it, so definitely do that. But it's, it's so much. It's an attitude of our very hearts, our very beings. You know, maybe the cost for you in your worship is it's going to cost you your sense of self-preservation, self-pres- 
or your sense of pride. And we actually need to let go of ourselves and realize it's not about us. In youth ministry, we had for 10 years, we were youth pastors. We, we joke, some of y'all parents are going to know what I'm talking about instantly if you got teenagers. We joke about the spirit of cool. And it's the spirit of cool where it's like, I don't want to stand out. Like if my friends aren't worshiping or acting like one way, I'm not going to act a one way because I need to like remain cool. And it's why we're probably so encouraged by camp is for whatever reason, when you take them out of their regular environment, you put them in youth camp, all of a sudden, it's not that we're doing something special, but it's that God is prepping this environment for them to see his face truly and beautifully. It's that all of a sudden they have an encounter with the one true living God. They see his face and all of a sudden we see these students come out of their shells and they go quite the opposite way where they're like, I don't care what my friends are doing. I don't care what they want. I don't care what they're, if they're in the back sitting down, I am going to give my God everything that I am, everything that I have. And all of a sudden you see these students just like unabandoned, weeping, dancing, crying, like you name it, kneeling. It's powerful, and it's, the, it's nothing magical other than we have seen him rightly and truly and beautifully, fully for who he is, not just in here in our mind's eye, but here in our beings, in our spirits. We have seen the Lord. And so maybe, maybe that's what it'll cost us. Maybe as we see him, it's like we need to be like David. Dancing before the Lord as the Ark of Covenant, the presence of God, was being returned to the city. And here is the king dancing in his undergarments through the streets. Because he's gushing that the only response of the presence of God coming back into my city is to dance before you, Lord, with all that I am. And I want to say that in our worship, we must be led by the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not a formula. That's not the point. I'm not saying you must do this in order to enter into worship. God might say, you're fine right where you are. You know, if this is your modus operandi or whatever it is, you're good. And to another, God might say, get out of that chair, shake off those grave clothes, go to the back and dance. The importance is that we are sensitive to the voice of the Lord, that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that we are listening. He is a far better teacher than me. As he leads us and guides us into true, pure, unadulterated worship. I remember one time we were having a worship night at, again, BSSM in our second year class. There was about like probably three, four hundred of us gathered to worship together. And the Lord, I felt come over me again and basically said, get to the back and dance. And what I felt come out of my spirit, how I felt that I needed to dance was in modern ballet. It's a true story. I am not trained in any dance whatsoever. But I was in the back, rolling on the ground, doing like all the things. Anyone that was trained in dance was probably like, that guy's crazy. But there was this, uh, this, this abandoned heart that was like, Lord, you are worth everything. You are worth my sense of pride. You are worth what others might think about me. I don't care. I don't want to be so worried about what others think that I miss you, that I miss your presence. And so I just let it go, whatever it looks like. Let it cost you. Don't, don't follow other people's leading. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's a point in worship where it's, it's probably why Duncan loves the term lead worshipers rather than worship leaders. 
Because there is a point in worship where it's not just about being led, but you actually have to activate your own self and to lead yourself into his presence. And you have to actively choose to step into worship. And it's not simply about where the, was the song selection on point today or is the band on point today. It's, no, actually I'm choosing to enter in to worship because he is worthy of my worship today. Secondly, I want to say for us as in Catch the Fire as a house of worship, as a house of his presence, to prioritize time worshiping with other believers. There's something so powerful about our corporate gathering and the worship we just experienced. And we here at Catch the Fire we unashamedly prioritize worship. We love it. This is not a fast food church. This is your first time. I'm going to warn you. We are not interested in getting you in and out in an hour, get you fed real quick and get you out. No, where's the nourishment in that? Where's first Peter two, that we are the royal priesthood of God and we are ministering to the heart of the Lord corporately as the body of Christ. There is a beauty in our, in our personal worship, but when we come together as well and we offer up this corporate fragrance to the Lord, this corporate aroma of the sun is beautiful. It is powerful. We don't need just, we don't need more hype. Hype brands or hype preachers or hype whatever it is. We need those that are truly radically in love with Jesus. that delight in the Lord, ones that are fascinated by him. Jess and I have this little saying, we say presence over plan. Lord, it's your presence over our plans. We, we prepare plans. We have plans here at Catch the Fire. Don't worry, we don't do nothing. But we say, Lord, you, can, you are the one in the driver's seat. So you can blow them up, exactly. We're not going to bow at the altar of convenience or church growth statistics. We're going to go after Jesus. We had this word from Michael Kulianos about pick up your cross, follow me, and build me an altar in Raleigh. And we, the Lord has just been reminding us that over the last year, build me an altar. We want to be a dwelling place for his presence, that where we minister to the heart of the Lord, where we have extended times of worship. If you've never been to a worship night, I want to encourage you to come this Friday night to the worship night. Come, come worship. That two hours forces you to enter past. I like these songs too. Am I going to choose to enter in today and offer him something worthy of my time in my Friday night? It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Lastly, I want to say for us to examine our hearts. David prayed in Psalms 139, verse 23 through 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to have hearts of humility that say, Lord, are you first in my life? Lord, would you search me? Would you know me? Would you reveal to me the condition of my heart? If something has taken the place of you, I want to know. And then we don't have to beat ourselves up when the Lord reveals it. We just repent. We say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I place you as the first in my life. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. I felt led in the first service. I feel led again to pray a blessing over us in this church, in this body, in our worship, okay? So I want you just to either put a hand on your heart or open your hands like you're ready to receive Let's just receive together.
In fact, before we do that, why don't we actually just practice, practice worship? Tell the Lord what you're grateful for. Before we pray. Let it rise in you. Let your worship rise and pour out of you. Pour out your thanksgiving. Pour out your gratitude to the Lord. Lord, we have seen you. And if we haven't, help us to see you. Help us to set aside the temporary and to seek the things of the infinite God, our creator in heaven, to seek you above all things. Jesus, son of suffering, there is nobody like you. We feast on your body. Thank you, thank you. Lord, I pray over this body. I pray over everyone here today and those who weren't able to make it today. Lord, I pray that we would be like children in your presence. Lord, that we would enter in with unadulterated hearts to you, that we wouldn't look to the left or the right to see what our, what our friends are doing, but we would experience and enjoy you. Like a kid enjoying ice cream isn't looking to the left to see how his friend's enjoying ice cream in order to decide how he's going to enjoy ice cream. But he's just enjoying it. Lord, would we enjoy your presence fully as you are? Would we enjoy your person fully as you are? Lord, I ask that you would give us eyes to see you. Lord, for anyone that's been struggling with a heart of worship, Lord, I ask right now that you would give them eyes to see you rightly. Lord, that you would encounter them in the strangest of places, in the most unlikely places. Father, in bathroom stalls, at work, on on commutes, whatever it is, Lord, that your presence would come close to us, that we would look upon your face and we would pour out fragrant offerings to you. Lord, I ask that this would be a house of worship, that we would be a house after your presence. Father, let us not bow to convenience. Help us, guide us, lead us to not simply fall into convenience or what's easy or what's seemingly right, but to instead follow your leading, to follow your guiding, to follow your voice. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, there's nobody like you. nobody like you, Jesus. If you know it, come on, sing it out. There is none. And there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. Come on, one, another time, let's sing it. Oh, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I could search for all eternity, Lord. 
and fight. There is none like you. Jesus, there is nobody like you. We want you. Let this be a house of your presence as we continue this series in the coming weeks. Let this be a house of worship. Lord, I pray that today what we experience in worship would become more of the norm. Unadulterated praise and worship and joy in your presence. Lord, I pray for the fullness to encounter every person in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.